Good morning, and welcome to Pay It Forward's Help Yourself by Helping Others podcast. Today, our topic is renewable energy, and we're going to discuss the pros and cons. I'm joined today by Alan and Mitchell, who are both uh, members of Pay It Forward, and we're very fortunate today to have Randy Hall, also a member of Pay It Forward, joining us today. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so our first um, slide is a, uh, just a definition of what renewable energy is. Alan, would you like to kick us off? Yes, uh, in the modern industrial society, we are all consuming energy every second. Uh, but unfortunately, not all energy are renewable. So up until recently, majority of our energy is depleting the um, what is left in this world. So we need to focus on deriving energy from renewable source. So this way we don't use all the energy and then have nothing left for the future generation. So I think renewable is just something that we can keep on enjoying energy, the modern uh, te technology without like depleting the resources around the world. Absolutely. So, and the advantage is that they are available. Uh, they produce little or no greenhouse gases and, um, you know, we're promoting sustainable and environmentally friendly systems as part of Pay It Forward. So that hence we are discussing this topic today. And if we go to our next slide, uh, these are some of the renewable energy sources. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to mention what some of those uh, sources are? Sure. You know, I think of all those, uh, solar energy is probably the most common and well-known. Um, and that's been growing quite a bit. And, you know, you have wind energy as well. Um, and, uh, and hydropower, which is just the three examples, um, of, I think are the ones that are most dominant that people are aware of and, and you can visually see. Yes. Uh, and I would also mention biomass. We just recently had another podcast about that very topic. And that is something that Pay It Forward is very interested in. Um, we would like to find um, you know, ways to get rid of waste, such as plant waste, agricultural waste, wood, things like that, and um, produce energy or chemicals uh, like methanol, um, things that are needed uh, using biomass. So that is a topic that's very close to our heart. <laughs> um, so, and then if we move on, we'll talk about our first uh, energy source, and that is solar. Um, Randy, do you are you familiar with uh, solar energy? Do you know anyone who has uh, panels um, or uses solar energy? Uh, I've had some small run-ins with solar, but that was mostly during my schooling. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as friends or relatives that have solar panels, I would say a handful of Warrentonians have some solar panels. You see them occasionally when driving, you know, roofs. Some people have it in their backyards, but I can't say for certain that it's very widespread in the area yet. Right. Uh, but whereas where Alan, uh, I believe where you are, um, it's actually any new home construction is required to uh, use solar power. Is that correct? Yeah, they, they passed a law in California. So any new construction, if before they get permit, you have to 
have solar in the drawing. So we have no mm. choice if you get a brand new building, has to have solar. Uh, well, probably one of the reason is California and Hawaii or some of these states, the electricity is sky high. So it makes sense to invest in solar. But in states like Virginia where, or, or Florida, where the electricity is affordable, then there's really no, uh, no benefit about doing solar because you are uh, enjoying the lower rate. So that's just that's my observation. There is some tax write-offs for solar in Virginia, but that's the most incentive that we currently have, selling power back, something like that. And, and also in Virginia, at least I'm sure other places, you have a lot of small farms. Um, this is true. That really can't compete with the larger farms in terms of producing food and, and animals, so they are, they're they're turning into solar farms. But they have some conflict with the environmental agencies that, who are worried about waste and you know how it's going to make it look and use of land. But that's something common in our area as well is that transition. Solar is also way more prevalent than wind in like the Virginia area, just because of the like actual geography of the area. We don't actually have that fast of wind speeds in the sky. We're protected by the Appalachian Mountains, and that really changes our wind direction. Interesting. Yeah, so sun, you know, solar power is basically just taking sunlight and, you know, converting it to energy. And being in Florida, we do have a very uh, a prevalence of uh, both wind farms uh, for the local electric company uh, and also homeowners are using them as well. Um, the other uh, application is uh, using solar thermal um, that I have not seen as much uh, use of here. Um, but we'll move on to our next slide and we will talk about um, some of that, what the applications are uh, for solar power. Uh, Mitchell, we kind of touched on a little bit, but do you want to give us a little better overview? You know, I, I guess starting, you look at the residential commercial electricity, you know, replacing or, or supplementing where you connect to the grid. Um, this is just to kind of help balance out our use of coal and hydro and other sources of energy. Um, and then, you know, next you have a uh, water heating, which, uh, which Alan, we have a little bit of experience with that, right? With the solar water heating? Oh yeah, I um, talked to uh, the inventor or somebody that is heavily uh, doing water heating uh, strictly on solar. It's slightly different than the regular solar panel where convert electricity. So I visited his plant in Jacksonville, Florida so I, I go quite a bit on uh, the benefits or the challenges with solar water heating. And for some application, that makes sense. So that's just one option. So solar is not strictly for electricity. It could be designed for water heating and other applications. Right. And wasn't that, uh, I remember when you were uh, visiting that plant. So basically that's heating like tubes or something that then go into the heater itself right like the tubes are on the roof or yeah actually it's much simpler than electricity because with electricity it could be dangerous right you have to work with uh things that you cannot see but mm. with this they just use copper pipe and then they painted the copper pipe black to absorb more heat mm -hmm. and then just put a piece of glass over it so the bird droppings don't don't get into the water pipe and if it's done properly, 
there's no active component that will fail and also it will last maybe 100 years or whereas electricity it's a little bit more complicated in maintenance and safety mm-hmm. well and of course you know the last uh, bullet here is transportation i mean ev vehicles have taken off be it a hybrid or completely electric and i know uh here where i live more and more charging stations are uh being um erected so i know many people with electric vehicles and they do like the idea of using them for you know not using gas but there are limitations sometimes i had a friend recently travel to atlanta and even though she had mapped out her entire trip um she did uh encounter some issues where the charging stations did not work or they did not work for her type of vehicle. So it's still, um, you know, there's still improvements to be made, but certainly electric vehicles are extremely popular uh, today. And, and getting them to run off solar energy is an evolving technology that we're a little bit, we're kind of far away from that, um, but they're still working towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's still a good use of applying the sun's energy for something uh, that would be on a daily basis. Right. And then moving on to our next slide, this is just kind of an overview of the pros and cons of solar power. Um, we, you know, you can see by the bullet points to the pros, renewable and sustainable, environmentally friendly, energy independence, cost savings, job creation, scalability. Um, Alan, as a now a homeowner with solar <laughs> panels on your roof. Uh, do you have any pros and cons that you could share with us? Well, the con is generally the one-time cost that is incurred. But again, if they make it mandatory, then we have no choice. So, mm-hmm. but the pros, I think majority of the pros is just feeling good because for example, like when you flip the light switch, you don't feel guilty because you are using the sun to, to turn on your light bulb or when you are doing something with electricity. So mm-hmm. that's a major pro, at least in my opinion. Uh, but then there are other things like this red and blue uh, slicer. So you just have to understand, you know, you are, it's not our 100% good, not 100% bad or 100% mm-hmm. expensive. It's, uh, you just have to look at your personal situation or your building and just make your own uh, informed judgment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you mentioned, the uh, one of the cons has been the high initial cost. But as Randy mentioned, you know, some states and there I don't some states have some uh, incentives. I don't know. I think are all the federal incentives this place or are they gone? I'm not sure. Uh, I think when we bought the house, we were lucky enough that we, at, at that time, still 30% okay. uh, federal tax credit. Okay. The California one is come and go, so you have to catch it when when they have uh, the, the credit. So that helped. Um, um, other, every state or every local city or the utility, they might have a certain grant so for example like if you live in a part of maybe 
Denver, for example, maybe they have a certain grant that if you install solar, you might get a certain benefit. If you fit the certain profile, you know, your income, your location, the size of the system, and you, you might get some help because uh, otherwise it might be, may not be justifiable because mm -hmm. let's say your, your mortgage go up $300, but you only save 200. So people may say, oh, I might as well just, just use the normal coal or whatever method for electricity. I want to pay extra just because solar or renewable. Right. Yeah, yeah, pros and cons to everything. And like, you know, there are cost savings to be had and, you know, a feel good uh, by not using uh, power off the grid, but there, there can be some limitations. I know here um, there has been concern by some homeowners who uh, did install solar and now trying to sell their homes. Um, uh, they're being required to pay off the lease because the new homeowners do not want to assume that uh, payment. So, you know, there's things still to be worked out as uh, the use of solar evolves. But um, in general, I think uh, I would feel better if I had them just to be an environment friendly consumer. But yeah. Yep. But one con on here to keep in mind, and we really have to think about this with all the renewable energy is the manufacturing and the disposal impact that we have. Yes. What are these solar panels made of? How much energy does it take to get these things out the ground to make the solar panels? And are we actually, are, you know, are we actually lessening our carbon footprint or are we increasing it? Mm -hmm. um, because we do have to manufacture and dispose these items. That's right. And, yes, and that's very true when we talk about wind. Uh, I know there's an issue with that. So that is a very good point. And then just to conclude um, on solar, as we all uh, mentioned, you know, there's challenges, there's good and bad pros and cons, but it is, you know, an important part, uh, an important component of our clean energy future. And uh, they'll continue to, to address it and make improvements, um, hopefully, like Mitchell said, especially with the disposal uh, process of used solar panels and their materials. So moving to our next uh, renewable energy source is wind. Uh, Alan, can you tell us kind of what wind power is and how it works? Yeah, wind actually is very interesting because uh, when the earth moves or when weather changes, it creates wind, some wind, especially when it's more than 10 miles an hour, that could be harnessed uh, economically to convert into energy. So I was talking to a professor in Costa Rica, and he actually has a pattern or some kind of invention that uh, can harness and win as little as maybe four miles per hour, whatever. Mm. So the technology is improving and you can probably benefit by putting a small one on your rooftop. It doesn't have the gigantic one that you see on the highway. So every bit help. And the benefit of a win is uh it's probably available most of the time depends on where you live like randy was saying in virginia there's some corridor that might benefit from wind most of the time with solar you're at the mercy of summer winter snow and you no know, you you may not get solar predictably whereas wind i think you can pretty much predict hmm. 
Yes, I see a lot of wind farms when I'm driving, you know, like out to Pennsylvania, I was going out to Pittsburgh and saw all the wind farms out there. And, um, you know, they're using them for uh, in out in the fields like that picture shows there. But there are, you know, some pros and cons to wind power as well. I mean, we're going to get to that, but I know the turbines are something that they are struggling with disposal of. Um, so we'll uh, talk about that in a minute. Uh, Mitchell, do you have anything else to add about wind power? I mean, just historically thinking, we've been using wind for transportation energy <laughs> for a very long time as humans. Mm -hmm. So this is just another way of, of using nature um, for our benefit. Right, and they can be on land and shore. I'm trying to remember, did we see any in Florida? Well, the three of us were traveling or am I making that up? Uh, it may not be visible because I, I was talking to some farmer in Iowa. They use wind uh, a lot, but those are not visible. They are not gigantic wind. Uh, so you can buy uh, wind uh, things very cheap at eBay or some, or you can make your own. So it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. Right. They do have small turbines that, you know, are for individual use. And that was exciting. That person you met, um, I think we talked about this a few years ago, you know, that the wind speed did not need to be that high uh, to generate, uh, you know, for personal use. Um, that was exciting. I don't know if you've talked to him recently. See where his- uh, the, the challenge with uh, all this renewable energy, because it's not rocket science, and, but the problem is there's no way to implement it as a business. So most people are like, I met our professors or scientists or smart people. So they come up with concept and then they make a prototype. They said it, it works and then they put it aside and then that's the end of it. Mm. So hopefully we pay it forward. We can collect all these ideas and then have a movement that will uh, kind of put, instead of putting this in a closet, just make it to good use. Mm -hmm. Sort of like what we were talking about, you know, with gasification, you know, before it's been around forever, <laughs> you know, many studies, many little prototypes, but it's really hard to um, make it sustainable and cost effective. You know, yeah, actually, in the old days, I think when people travel around the ocean, they have to use wind power. There's not enough gasoline in the old yeah. days to sail from one continent to another. So they have to use wind to to get them from India to Africa or, you know, from Asia to Australia, where they use wind. Mm -hmm. Yep, good point. And so we do have, as we mentioned, pros and cons of everything. So the pros and cons of wind, um, some of them were interesting that I hadn't even thought of. It has bird and bat collisions, <laughs> but it's sort of like, I guess, an aircraft, you know, uh, engines. Um, similar idea that they can really pose a risk um, and, you know, to a spinning turbine. So, uh, Mitchell, do you have anything to add uh, about the pros and cons? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, one con, I don't really see it on here yet, is how you dispose of them. Yes. The materials will be around Earth forever. So you have to figure out a way to repurpose it versus mm -hmm. they won't decompose. Um, to me, I think that's the biggest issue when you're trying to make a positive environmental impact and yes. you're using stuff that has a negative effect. Um, yes. So these are these are things that we have to figure out. 
I'm not saying we need to change the material. We just need to figure out how can we repurpose the material um, once they need to be replaced. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, with the advent of computers. I mean, you know, you you and I have been to dumps many times, Mitchell. Uh, isn't that exciting? <laughs> but we have been visited many and to see the piles and piles of computer equipment and, um, you know, figuring out how they can be dismantled and taken apart. I mean, at one time they were just sent to, you know, China or someplace and they burned them all, which we know is, you know, yeah. not these turbines are massive, the big ones. Yeah. So like to dispose of them, it's a process completely to yes. take them apart and then it takes so much equipment. Again, all this stuff requires energy mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to do. So you have to really look at, you know, are we really improving or are we damaging our carbon footprint? Um, right. You have to right weigh the balance because you're right. The turbines have a lot of materials in them that, you know, you have to dispose of properly. And right now, you know, there's like a, 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 a field full of used turbines that they you know need to be disposed of properly. So that is one of the downsides and something that needs to be addressed to make the wind power move forward in an environmentally responsible way. So, okay. And then just our conclusion on wind, um, like with solar, you know, there are challenges and there, you know, hopefully will be improvements. Um, and because they, there are environmental uh, benefits, but we have to make it more sustainable. Okay, so our next renewable energy source is hydropower. Um, Alan, do you want to tell us a little bit about hydro uh, electric power? Oh, yeah, hydro is actually very, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, very efficient. Basically, when, when it rains, it collects uh, water in the mountains. And then if you put a dam, make sure that the water get held and not just flow uh, 24-7, then when you need electricity, typically the electricity is like um, in the morning, like six to nine, where people are using a lot of energy when they get up, then the hydroelectric can open the dam and then it will generate a lot of free electricity for the entire city or the state to enjoy. So uh, the biggest hydroelectric in North America is probably um, the Canadian and the New York water, I think it's called Niagara Falls. Mm. So it, it's a huge uh, plant. So if you travel to Canada or that area of New York, you should definitely take a look at it. It's, it's very uh, intriguing. Yes. I've never actually seen a big dam like that before. Um, I haven't been to Niagara. Um, is um, this may be a dumb question, but is Hoover Dam <laughs> a hydroelectric uh, power producer? Yeah, yeah. Hoover, I think, is uh, at in Las or close to Las Vegas. So next time, if you go to Las Vegas, you can join a tour. It's probably a few hours bus ride, and mm-hmm. the tour guide can take you underneath. Uh, so it's very fascinating, mm. and I believe that one collect water from the Colorado River. Oh, so okay. it collects uh, rainwater multiple states at high altitude. And then when it goes to the lake, then it provides a lot of free electricity and very clean energy to the whole, the, the whole region. Right. And I think that region is struggling with um, uh, water. Uh, you know, there are times where um, they need more water because 
other states are tapping into it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think, yeah, with the dam and the hydroelectric power, there are ways to uh, divert it and, and keep it in like a reservoir for when it's needed. So uh, I think that's also a benefit too. And it doesn't have to be a huge project like the Niagara Falls or Hoover. Right. In uh, downtown Manhattan, New York. Uh, actually, uh, they have a small hydroelectric inside at high rise. So during the nighttime, when electricity is cheap, they actually pump water, just regular municipal water up to the roof. And then during the day, they can let the water gradually drop uh, and then turn on the air conditioning or whatever it is. So they're actually uh, saving uh, saving the power plant so the power plant can even out the, the, you know, the usage throughout the day. So wow. that can be done too. That's fascinating. I never knew that. <laughs> but that, those you cannot see because it's hidden inside, you know, the building. Yeah. <laughs> but it's right. the same principle. Right. Well, that, again, you know, the technology, if you, it's been around for decades. I mean, we've been using it for a long time. So, yeah, it can be scalable, I guess. <laughs> okay. So, moving on to our next slide. Um, these are some of the key aspects of hydropower. We kind of already, uh, you know, talked about them, you know, that it's using natural flows or streams or rivers. Um, there's also the reservoir system, like I was talking about, to store water that can be, you know, released as needed. Um, there's some that's storage, uh, storage and pumped uh, so that when demand increases, you know, it, they have it available. Um, and but construction can have environmental impacts. So it's important to that, you know, considerations be made for uh, wildlife and, you know, um, that proper planning is required. But hydropower has been around for a long time. And as you can see in the graphics, you know, some of them are pretty big um, and generate a lot of power for, uh, you know, large swaths of the country. So, and then again, pros and cons <laughs> of hydropower. Uh, um, Mitchell, do you want to talk about some of that? Um, sure. You know, I think for me, what the with the con, I'm sticking with cons this podcast, um, is the maintenance and upkeep. Mm -hmm. Because if this system fails, it's a disaster. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, this is this is probably second to nuclear of failure, um, where it can flood cities, flood towns, um, it can cause disaster if everything's not maintenance, if there's a problem. So you have to, you know, you have to invest a lot of time and effort in, in the planning and upkeep of these things and security. Um, because it is such a high risk type thing. Um, One was just attacked in the Ukraine. Oh yes, wasn't that horrible, Randy? That yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, security is relevant. I agree. Yeah. I know, Randy, you had some interest of, of this on a smaller scale, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. But when I, whenever I think about green energy, I really feel like one of the major bottlenecks is the fact that we don't have good power storage. Like all of these power systems ebb and flow, right? Like sometimes solar is generating a higher source of power than at night it's generating less. When it's windy, it's generating more. And like the misconception is we don't actually have a lot of power that is conserved. Like all of our power is used on a daily basis. All of our, 
you know, coal burning and stuff like that. It's not like we have giant power centers that hold the power for if something happened, right? If the grid, grid completely broke, it's broken. You know, there's no reserve powers aside from whoever might own their own personal generator. So I feel like that's one of the major bottlenecks to me. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, it's something to be kind of concerned about what happened in the Ukraine. And, you know, we all hear about how um, old our, you know, electrical infrastructure is. I mean, it's it has not been updated. And, you know, obviously, I think we in today's world, we all have concerns about the uh, safety and integrity of those systems. So you're right. There isn't a, yeah. what's the backup plan? You know, what's yeah. the, <laughs> you know, I don't think we have one. Yeah. So. I was, I was listening to a specialist that deals with like the energy grid on a more macroscopic scale. And they were asking more question on how they would restart the energy grid if it ever like fully stopped working. And it really stumped him because he didn't, he didn't really know how long or how they would even begin to start the steps to like reintroduce it to like mass society. Mm. Yep, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think we all feel a little more vulnerable nowadays, for sure. Yeah. Mm. So, in conclusion, uh, we are just saying, you know, it's you know, as with the others, there are you know other implications and considerations uh, with any of these renewable energy sources, but. You know, it takes planning and assessments and um, environmental assessments. And also uh, there's always room for research and improvement uh, to make sure that everything is running properly, safely and securely. So then we're going to talk about geothermal. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know a lot about geothermal uh, personally. I know one of my friends in Maryland uh, they dug way, way, way deep in the earth in their front yard, and that's where they are drawing power from. But Alan, you have a more uh, engineering background than I. Uh, can you tell us uh, kind of what how geothermal operates? Sure. Yeah, uh, they're different kind of geothermal. I think uh, some harness the actual <laughs> boiling water or heat underneath the earth. Now in the U.S. may not be that common, but I think in Europe, like Iceland or or some area, if you drill very deep, uh, not very deep, then you will get free energy. Basically, there's boiling water, there's a lot of heat. So in those countries, actually, practically, you get free energy. That's why I heard like during the Bitcoin craze, people actually install many, many computers over there because they can get free energy by converting the heat right underneath the building. And then now they can power many, many computers to mine Bitcoin. Hmm. The, the typical geothermal in the U.S. is probably in the colder climate like Pennsylvania or uh, where, where there's either very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. And if you construct your building from scratch, then you can drill, like uh, Sherry was saying, uh, her friend, you drill either vertically, very deep, or you do shallow, but then you have a lot of space. And what you do is during the summer, you are cooling the house by circulating the freon or the water or coolant uh, through the earth. 
because the earth is generally more stable. So during the day where the outside may be 100 degrees, but the earth may be 85 or 80. So you are, you are cooling from 85 to 80 to 68 in your house. And in the winters, the other way around, where it's freezing on the air, but it might be still 60 degrees underneath the earth. So you are heating 60 degrees the coolant and bring it up to 68. So it, it saves a lot of energy if you do it this way. Mm. And the system, if it's done properly, will last 50, 100 years. Hmm. Well, I know that um, it was very expensive for them to install uh, this system. So, and I have not inquired about <laughs> the cost benefit. So I don't know what the, you know, ratio is, like how long you have to have the system to reap any savings. I don't know, but yeah. So these are some of the key aspects of geothermal, um, you know, uh, their environmental benefits, their lifespan, um, regional resource availability. Uh, so it says in the slide that they're unevenly distributed globally. So it depends on tectonic and, uh, activity and hot spots. But you're right. I think Iceland uh, has a prevalence of um, of underground uh, boy uh, water and steam. Is that correct, Alan? Yeah, yeah. They they, they happen to be lucky. Hmm. Well, same thing. Hawaii. Hawaii has a lot of volcanoes. So every every region <laughs> is different. Yes. Okay, so again, there's pros and cons. Uh, uh, some of the cons are, you know, the in initial investment and potential for resource depletion, um, the impact on local e ecosystems. Uh, does anyone have any other comments uh, about the pros and cons of geothermal that you're aware of? Um, you know, I, I think me. What stands out is that if you properly build this system, it, it will probably last through your lifetime. Um, so it is the most sustainable of all, in my opinion. And it's something going back to days where they were cavemen. Why did they go into caves? <laughs> you know, because it was cold on the surface and they went underground. They went into something where it was a moderate temperature the entire time. So we're really using that idea. And it, it's something we've done in humans from the very beginning. So it's something I think that more developers should plan. Um, and if you're building yeah, your own so. and you can afford it, it's definitely worth it. Mm -hmm. It was also the uh, primitive form of refrigerators too. You would dig down and keep your meats and produce in a cooler area based upon land. So been around a long time. Right. Same thing with wine cellar, right? People yeah. store the wine and then they can get spoiled. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that saves a lot of time. It's better than refrigerating an entire room, you know, a wine cellar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the key is uh, motivating younger people to learn about this. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. you, I mean, once people understand, it's really not that complicated. Actually, most of our pay-for program are not complicated. Mm -hmm. it, it's I, just, yeah. I would say that my generation has a love for renewable energy, but the buy-in is a little bit higher than, like, where we're capable like a lot of young minds are very interested in the eye of uh idea of like self-sufficiency renewability a quarter acre of like garden plots chickens yada yada so on and so forth it's a popular ideology especially in virginia 
But mm-hmm. the buy-in to get a system that works that way is, you know, significant mm. for, you know, a young person. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I had a, a great grandfather going back mm-hmm. into the 1950s that or 60s that when he built his house, he had a fan in the attic that would redistribute heat down in the winter and a fan in the basement that would that would send cool air up in the summer. And so like, this has been going on for a long time. People are just innovating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Humans never stop. We are that type of thing, you know? Yes. But in the case of geothermal, I think you need to know how to operate a tractor or drill the dirt. I think that's the only complication. Everything else, you just buy co- uh, plastic tubing that go underneath mm-hmm. the earth. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, people like me need more people like you, Alan, to, uh, <laughs> you know, help us understand the complexities of things that we find far more complex than they really are, you know? And that's exactly why we're here, right? This is paid for us. Yeah. We, we want to be able to help educate people and, and bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So in conclusion, as we just talked, um, you know, geothermal, is a very viable it's been around for a long long time and it's just um you know evaluating the potential and uh, making it happen and as alan said it's probably simpler than you think <laughs> so our final i believe uh just renewable energy that we're going to talk about today is biomass which is one of our favorite topics <laughs> so uh Alan, again, I turn to you to give us an overview of what that means. Oh yeah, biomass actually is you can you're killing two birds with one stone. Basically, there are a lot of unwanted agricultural or other uh, products that are filling up the landfill and will never disappear, even thousands of years. So instead of just creating more landfill, we can actually convert that in a responsible manner into green energy or renewable energy. So again, if you, uh, the audience want to know more, you can look up our previous podcast that talk about biomass. So it's actually a very interesting topic. You're, you're doing the world twice as good, you know, by removing the unwanted landfill and then enjoy green energy, uh, together. Yes. And, um, as we'll show, there's, you know, different processes for um, uh, the conversion of biomass. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to discuss uh, some of that? Sure. And, you know, in our previous podcast, we talked about, you know, the different types like combustion. But we focus mostly on the gasification um, because this is better for the environment in terms of having no exhaust. Um, so like Alan said, it's not just about having um, renewable energy, it also cleans up the planet. So that, that kind of helps the balance of how much does it take to heat up the chamber? You know, what does it take to build a facility? But we're also cleaning up organic waste. Um, so that's the type of balance that we may need for the other forms of renewable energy is, is how do we supplement the other problems that we're creating? What other solutions can we add to that so that everything balances out? Right. And as Alan was saying, uh, too, uh, and you, Mitchell, that, you know, our focus has been on gasification because we do want to uh, use these processes sustainably and cleanly. Um, there are 
uh, several biomass plants around our country, uh, typically in wealthy counties. We have them in uh, Palm Beach County, uh, but they are not completely clean. There is still exhaust. There is still some combustion going on. And while they are making some difference in that they are uh, repurposing, reusing, you know, waste, uh, it's still not, it's not the, the perfect solution, not that there is one, but we do not want to uh, encourage combustion. We want to encourage gasification. And that is part of what uh, the, the podcast that Alan mentioned discussed. So yeah, please feel free to check that out. And so you can under, kind of understand the differences. Uh, we want it to be clean, clean and green. So right. that is our goal. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, it's just so hard to make these um, technologies sustainable. Um, we visited, well, Alan visited, I live near uh, a plant in uh, Vero Beach, Florida uh, that uh, started, but they got a lot of government subsidies, subsidies. And um, once that money ran out, they had difficulties maintaining the system. They ran into various issues and um, eventually the plant was closed. So I think there is some reluctance to start uh, a process like this, but that's why we have done so much research uh, about the gasification pro process, about getting the proper feedstock to keep the plant running economically, feasibly, and sustainably. So uh, this is a topic near and dear to our hearts. So, uh, but we do believe it's viable. You just need the right people and the right um, feedstock and tools to make it happen. Well, actually uh, the, the renewable energy biomass is a lot more uh, installation in Europe. Probably oh, yeah. one of the reasons is in Europe, they are not as lucky as we are in the U.S. Like uh, many countries in Europe, they, have to, they don't have that much land. They don't have that much free or cheap energy. So they have to be innovative. They have to install this. So there are a lot of successful biomass, uh, mm -hmm. the, the green one, not the burning one in Europe. Yeah. And, and not less in the U.S. But doesn't mean that we cannot do it here. We just need to spread the word. So younger generation would support this and then get get on with uh installation and then have you know the us as a better place yes and there again are pros and cons um uh, i think uh one of the cons is that not everybody people are doing combustion and not clean and like alan just mentioned you know it does require quite a bit of land and the feedstock you know that's critical you have to i mean for it to be successful it has to keep running and to keep running you have to have a a, a feedstock source that is reliable and sustainable uh, mitchell do you have anything to add yeah like, like you said earlier we've been researching this for years and looking at other people's failures and i think the one thing that we learned is that most people do not have a sustainable business model um, for this and that's something I think that where we we can help, and we have kind of figured out other methods and other ways to where this could, you know, once we started, it could live on indefinitely. And that's probably the most important part of the gasification is being sustainable. Yes, I would agree. Okay, so in conclusion, on biomass, um, it's a uh, 
an energy that uses organic waste materials. And we feel, uh, especially, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, forestry waste and would be a, 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 a really reliable source. Um, many ways to get wood and wood residue. I'm gonna cough again, <coughs> excuse me. And so um, to conclude our presentation today, Alan, can you take this? Oh yeah, basically uh, I think with a new technology and uh, all the, um, hopefully with our audience, we can spread the word that uh, it's not that difficult to implement uh, one or more of the renewable energy solutions. And once we do it, if we can sustain it, then we can benefit for generations to come. Mm -hmm. So again, every situation is different. You have to evaluate um, the pros and cons, and hopefully there are a lot more pros than cons. But um, as we move forward, probably we can resolve with technology and have less uh, drawback, you know, like the recycling of the machines and so forth. But, but overall, I, I see the world a better place if we all spread the word on this. Yeah. Um, I like to hear from Randy because it all, all four of us represent almost different generations. So <laughs> Randy being the youngest here, I want to know how do you feel about this subject? And it's going to be in your hands one day um, as we continue through this. We're, we're just here to kind of provide a game plan and step by step. But this problem, we have to attack this for the next couple hundred years probably. For sure. And I think that the younger generation already has a desire to see a more green world just because, you know, like we're perceptive by nature when you're young and you're seeing things change and you're seeing more wildfires and you're seeing more floods and you're seeing more things that are like when we're young, we know we're going to deal with this the majority of the rest of our life right like we see what's happening in canada we see what's happening in california we know there's no real way to like overcorrect for it but we also recognize that like it's also not like a thing you can give up on right like we have to heal our planet and what what y'all do that's really helpful for us is like help us understand what's necessary you know because we haven't we haven't done the studies. We haven't been in it as much. I'm sure there's some young people, sure. There's some young people that are going to school specifically for these things. And even though they're doing that, they still need like the majority of people to listen and being able to work, right? America isn't a country that can really be moved by just one hand, you know? It's, it's a group effort. And I would say that with the science increasing, I feel like it's also like a matter of time kind of thing right? Like past a certain point, it'll be hard to convince somebody of like reasonable and sound mind that, you know, solar or wind or geothermic energy isn't a better choice so long as we get more of the drawbacks down, right? Like if we had better battery storage, if, you know, solar planners hit a slightly higher efficiency, if, you know, we could convince the, you know, a swath of people that tidal energy is valuable, like there's plenty of small things and even then it's even on like a small scale that can be kind of beautiful too right like just as a landowner or as a property owner when you make it that far which is another problem for the young generation is uh housing is being pushed further and further out of a lot of people's mm. ideas but if you know you get so lucky to reach that point i believe that there's a large majority 
of millennials and gen you know zers that would love to hit a high ability to sustain and you know things like this help them develop a plan right because you can't do it without a plan and i think expressing to each person all the types of green energy and the pros and cons of each so they can be like you know if you live in ohio you, you listen to this podcast and you might realize that solar energy is better for you or you live in virginia and you realize that maybe you know biomass is better for you or at least should be a more major component of your renewable source because for instance virginia is all forest right like 99 percent. if you live anywhere near the woods you'll have them like the amount of carbon that's just left on the ground is insanely high you know, fallen trees, debris, thing like that. But if you move to somewhere like Ohio, that may not make the most sense to you anymore. And I feel like until you have that information in your head, you can't even begin the steps to move forward. So, you know, things like this are, are really important, you know? I, I like what you've said there, Randy, because I think it's true. I think the you know, depending on where you live. And I think for young people, they're more today, they're less about material things and more about experiences and, and living fully. And, you know, if you do are fortunate enough to have a plot of land and you can maybe grow some of your own uh, food and um, yeah. irrigate it with the uh, you know, a renewable energy source. I mean, I think that would be right up <laughs> Your generation, Ali. Yeah. They would love it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's their dream. You know, some people, some young men, you know, they go to school for finance. They end up in, you know, New York or Wall Street or something like that. And before long, they recognize that this wasn't actually what they wanted to begin with. And you hear stories and you see it on Instagram and you see people who just picked up and moved. You know, they were like, we, we opted out of this system and we're going to try and make this work. And, you know, sometimes... I mean, they're real success stories for a lot of young people. They look mm -hmm. up to them and they have a lot of followers because they're doing things that, you know, we want to do. That's how somebody really gets popular in America anyways, is, you know, by doing something that you admire or would want to follow in the footsteps of or generally use, you know? So those, those people are just useful, I would say. And I would say if given the opportunity, I would... I would take everything that you know I've learned today and put it into actual practice, but that would take that's going to take time and finance. You know what I mean? But I don't think it ends here, right? Because that's that's the point of a young person, right? I may be in my twenties now, but by the time I'm in my thirties or forties, if this is still something that's you know valuable to me, which I'm sure it will be, you know, it'll only be further then because you know progress is in increments and it's not linear, you know you can practice something every day and you won't get incrementally better every day. It's more of like a, a long-term thing, you know, Kobe wasn't the best overnight. <laughs> and I think again, that back to who we are is pay it forward. We want to connect people and ideas yeah. so that we can accomplish these goals. That's literally our mission. Yeah. Um, if you're out there listening and you feel like Randy and you want to work together to make this stuff happen, you just find us. And, and that, that's all it takes. It's just yeah. teamwork. Community is necessary. And, you know, the Socratic method, like the ability to speak and really, you know, find the real derivative answer of these things can only be like achieved in a group setting. You know, if you leave a person in a room with an idea to study, he will never get as far as if he has a handful of like minded individuals to bounce ideas off of and, you know, discuss pros and cons, 
like the sci like the scientific community in general would not work without the idea of like peer review and things like that. So it's important to to have people around as best you can, like minded individuals. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I just, think this is what it's doing. Yeah, and just to, because you know, just talk about the biomass itself, the gasification. Yeah. You know, we have we have extensive plans for that, but without yeah. a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of people who are really yeah. interested, it will never happen. Yeah. Um, so we really have to work together to to help the planet and help our own society and communities. And every little bit helps. You know, like every every little bit is it's like the the footprint you leave, right? Like you, you walk on the back of giants these days with everything that we do from planes to like anything. It started with, you know, two brothers and now we're building electric planes that can travel <laughs> across the country. So it Very takes effort. It takes effort. And a lot of times it's just a grassroots effort. And uh, exactly. People who have a vision. Yeah. Yep. Those two men started in a field. Now look at us, you know? Yep. Very true. Well, thank you all. Uh, so that is going to conclude our presentation. Uh, today on renewable energy. I'm sure we will be discussing it many times in the future. Uh, just wanted to mention that we have uh, many other podcasts um, available to listen uh, on the Jones Act and shipping, um, on Quonset huts, on uh, fish production and indoor fish farming, gasification, many topics. And you can give us a listen on Spotify Google, YouTube, or Dystopia. So uh, it's under the uh, the podcast name is Help Yourself by Helping Others. And then there's many episodes to choose from. So we hope you'll check us out and give us some feedback. And <clears throat> Mitchell, can you uh, tell people what some of our other resources are? Sure. You know, if, if you like what, we, what we're doing, you want to support us, you can find us on Patreon. Um, and if you want to, you know, learn more about us, we have a website, payitforwardonline.org, um, and a Facebook page and a Facebook community where like-minded people can come together and discuss these topics. Wonderful. Yeah. So we hope you'll check one of, uh, or more of those out and we hope you'll definitely join the Facebook community so we can have a very, uh, interesting and active, uh, discussions about all kinds of topics. Everything's on the on the table. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you for joining us, and thank you, Alan Mitchell, and in particular, Randy. It's so nice thank to have you for a having voice and you. a young voice. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. So until next time, everyone, keep paying it forward, and we'll see you then. Okay. Bye. 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 -bye.